Welcome to the Ben Beard Show, brought to you by Redcliffe Homes. Welcome to the Ben Beard Show. Our guest today is Eric Listu with the Living in Place Institute. Eric, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you, Ben. I'm honored and privileged to be here. Thank you. We're excited to have you. So tell me about the Living in Place Institute and, and give us a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, let me start out maybe a little bit with the background. I started in the building industry over 50 years ago. That means I still have a lot to learn, <laughs> as you know, Ben. Every day is a challenge. <laughs> First half of my career was commercial. I started out as a tradesperson and electrician, so proud that I will always be an electrician. Moved into management, moved into general contracting management. When I left the DC area halfway through my career, I was working for a general contractor. My specialty was public housing renovations. As such, I was offered a presidential appointment that I declined to step in and fix our nation's public housing problems. I decided not to do that because I had come to Colorado, met a woman on the ski slope, fell in love. I moved to Colorado. <laughs> At that point, I started remodeling. And it was interesting, Ben. All my work in public housing, I never once ever thought about the people living there. It was just, it was just work. It was just business, you know, just go focus try to make on money. The housing. Yeah. So when I started the remodeling and some, some home building, custom home building, that's when I started focusing on the people who's living here, what's their experience going to be. So I became very involved in education. I taught aging in place and universal design classes for years. And as I tried practicing those things, they were all valid, all great points, but I quickly learned that the language wasn't proper. You know, if someone asked me, uh, well, you know, if I asked someone if they wanted me to design for aging in place, no matter what their age, they said, no, that's not us. We're not aging, even though sometimes <laughs> they were considerably older than I was. So in my education, I started realizing that there was something missing. And it's interesting that one of my aging in place students, Louis Delaware, approached me later. He had, uh, his career had included uh, technological developments. He was a mechanical engineer and uh, has a master's in business. He helped develop technologies that save lives or improve lives. He then went into general, not general contracting a little bit, but then focused on child proofing. He became one of eight national recognized master child proofers. Well, after the aging class, he asked me to help him write a book on senior safety. He had already published a book on child safety. Of course, I said, sure. Being an author, builder, author, they're kind of the same thing. You put things together, create yeah. a story. Well, it didn't take us long to realize that focusing on the aging market, focus, focusing on those with disabilities, while well-intentioned, great, great to do that. As a business person, it, it, it really didn't, I won't say it didn't work, but it made it very difficult. And I had to constantly think about the people and I felt inadequate, Ben. I thought, I don't really know about people. Sure, I know how to build something, but I don't know how human beings really work. So we started including medical professionals. Well, long story short, we did write a book called How to Live in Place. However, we won't let the book be published until there's enough professionals trained on how to respond. So the Living in Place Institute was born. We've started in about, oh, probably eight years ago. We spent years developing the course curriculum, the 
program. We kept pulling in many, many experts from all fields. Again, not only building, but medical, finance, real estate, everyone we could find that, that created the Living in Place Institute. Hmm. Interesting. So, okay, so I've got all kinds of questions now. Okay. Uh, so you turned down a presidential uh, appointment for, from which president, if I may ask? Um, I guess it was probably Bush at the time. <laughs> it's ironic. Okay. I've never been involved in politics and here I am. I had, uh, I had done some, I won't call it whistleblowing, but I had made comments to several people. When I was in DC, I was interfacing with some political folks because mm -hmm. public housing becomes very politicized. Sure. Well, I had mentioned apparently to a few people that, you know, it might be better if you didn't, you know, take two years to pay the contractor. If you pay the contractor right away, they'll bend over backwards for you. And neither side was trying to harm each other. There was just a, a lot of, um, not necessarily red tape, but a lot of confusion. So I guess mm -hmm. my comments of how to streamline and how to make public housing work much more efficiently and cost the government a lot less money, make contractors happy, it fell on the right ears. Okay. Interesting. So you, and then you decline that and decide to just stay, stay in the private sector. Right. Okay. Now a child proofing expert as in just, just home, you know, kind of parental advice, a child, your friend that was a child proofing expert, how did, how do you become a professional child proofer? <laughs> well, he, he discovered that niche. And some of the statistics he's taught me, every two weeks, just in the US, every two weeks the child dies because a piece of furniture fell on. So strap wow. the furniture back. Uh, children fall downstairs. Um, it's, it's phenomenal how many injuries there are uh, all over the world of children getting hurt. A few years ago, my first granddaughter, when she was two and a half, I was putting a baby gate. They had moved into a house with stairs and I was putting a gate at the top and this cute little girl asked me, what are you doing, Grandpa? Are you fixing that? I said, yes. She asked, why? And I said, so, so that your little sister and your dog won't fall down the stairs. She said, okay. When her mom came home an hour later, she said, look, Grandpa fixed this so my little sister and my dog won't get hurt. Hmm. That kind of sums up the Living in Place Institute. Let's look at what we can do as professionals. Let's examine it. Let, let's explore our building codes that say a minimum standard of one handrail on the stairway. Not in public spaces, you have to have two. So as a builder and as a remodeler, I started putting in two handrails. And I told people, look, your stairway looks balanced now. It's all even. I made money doing that because I was a builder. I charged them for it. Sure. The people paid for it. So I was actually, I realized I was reducing the opportunity for falls by improving and increasing my business offerings. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So um, that's, so you kind of just learned little things like that. I, I would assume there are, do you find it typically requires big changes or is it just little things like add a second handrail to, to improve the safety of the home? 
Well, it's it's usually little things. The big things like changing a set of stairs in front of a house, two or three steps into a walkway. That might be a big thing. But our approach is for the professionals in the industry, every time you touch something, every time you manage or build something, make it a little bit better. We're not saying that we have to go out and take 220 million homes and rip them all apart and rebuild them. That's not practical. But mm. just as we move forward, let's just make it a little bit better. Okay. Interesting. Uh, that, and that makes sense. I mean, it, right. It doesn't, there's no way to go back and retrofit every home in America, uh, yeah. nor is nor is it necessarily necessary. But it, now is the Living in Place Institute focused on specifically on aging or is it kind of a general uh, lifestyle for lack of a better term? That's a good question, Ben. And the second is correct. We're not focusing on aging. We just focus on the house, the structure, the built environment, because that's what builders do. So just focus on that physical space, make it better. The only time you bring in a medical expert is if there's human beings living in that home. Because again, we as builders don't know those details, but when you include a medical expert on your design or construction team, then you have someone that can help guide you and to help let you know if it is a person who is aging or a person has a disability. I think it's 26% of Americans have a disability. And I don't mean seniors over the age of 18. So you can see where every home needs attention. Every home needs a builder. Every home needs a medical expert to help guide the discussion and help help that client understand. Now, what? so what kind of changes are you, would be advocated by a medical expert and what, where do you find a medical expert that has enough training to say, this is what a home needs as opposed to the standard? Okay, um, I'll give you an example. Ben, let's say, um, let's say you want a new kitchen in your home and you've called me and I come out mm-hmm. and look at it. You know, you're a pretty young guy. I'm not going to assume anything about you. But what one of the, and we teach a lot of, I'll call it psychology and mm-hmm. uh, the art of selling in the class. So in our conversations, I probably will bring up, so Ben, tell me about, you know, your family. Do you have anybody? And let me just ask you the question right now, Ben. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone in your family or friends that may have any issues, like maybe a twisted ankle or anything like that? Is there anyone like that in your life that, we need to think about as we design your kitchen. Not that I can think of at the top top of my head. Okay. Do you think you might have any visitors, any older relatives that might, might come to visit? Uh, Possibly. (laughs) I'm I'm a terrible example for you right now because my family is all far away. Uh, Mine mine and my wife's family is all distant and don't don't visit frequently. Well, that's fine. But don't you want to make your house so that, if someone does visit you or if a neighbor twists their ankle and they want to come in and visit you, wouldn't it be nice to have a home where they're not inconvenienced? Sure. Okay. Simple. So now the medical expert, let's say you were to tell me, well, my aunt Martha has a, has a broken leg. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, aunt Martha needs some more supports. So if I come in and say, Ben, we have to add a grab bar in the bathroom that doesn't sound real pleasant, does it? It sounds like, starts sounding like I want to make a hospital out of your home. Yeah. So the medical experts on the team is going to help me to say, well, Ben, 
maybe for your 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 aunt or whomever that is let's let's put a towel bar in the shower let's put a shower bar in there that way they can hang a wet washcloth there and there's something to hold on to and while we're at it ben let's just change the towel bars in your bathroom so they all match Does that make sense mm -hmm. okay so i didn't use the term grab bar but i am going to install... call it a towel bar but it's structural now it's solid enough to provide Right, right. it's solid enough as an expert i and one of the things i've learned ben this is interesting if i screw that bar or that towel bar or if you want to call it a grab bar if i screw it into a stud we don't have any evidence that says that bar will actually hold the amount of weight it's designed for but there are devices and fasteners made on the open market little four or five dollar devices you can put in tile and drywall not in the stud just put it in tile and drywall and it'll hold 300 pounds. Some of the versions will hold 800 pounds in tile and drywall. So this really? is the type of education we're providing. Let's not just guess. Let's mm -hmm. use the scientific fact of what will hold that bar. What type of a fastener should we use? That's what we teach in the class. Interesting. Because as a builder, I, I you know, we offer a grab bar option at, I don't think I've ever sold it. And within my own company, I know the builders that I used to work for had um, occasionally would sell a, a grab bar, but it was as the purchasing guy, I just got a price from the trim guy and he would, uh, you know, he gave me a price. He would provide and install it. You know, we bought all of our own hardware for the door doors and the bathrooms and everything else. But when it came to a grab bar, I just said, I don't know, find something and buy it. And, and, uh, Put, put it in there, you know, I just screw it to a stud, I guess. Uh, let's mark it on the plan so that maybe we get some framing backing in there and hopefully well, make it easier for the trim guy later, but never thought about would make, will, will it actually hold or not. Right. But again, there's no evidence. So Ben, when you're, when you put that blocking in there, do you have an engineer that tells you the fastening systems that materials use that will hold a minimum of 250 pound pull force for the next 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> as, as you know, no engineer is gonna sign off on that. They're gonna say, nope, nope, I'm not gonna, I, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know what type of wood. So it's, it's new, this is all new. So what yeah. we're doing is opting for, let's follow, let's follow the proof we have. And that's the right kind of anchors. You know, Ben, as a builder, you wouldn't take a, a little deck screw, little three and a half inch deck screw and fasten a wall plate to the wall. You know that it'll go in there. It'll look okay. But structurally, that's not accurate. You, you need something stronger and beefier for that. Hmm. Interesting. So there are systems that with just drywall and tile, a regular wall uh, profile can hold that significant a weight, three, five, well, eight hundred pounds. A five sixteenths inch toggle bolt will hold over two hundred pounds in tile and drywall. Huh. Test That's it. In incredible. Yeah. So that so the strength is inherent within the materials themselves, but there's you gotta set it up right and allow it to display the forces correctly. You're right. So so and that's a good point. If I'm walking into a house that's 40 years old, I know the drywall, the fasteners, they've degraded uh, what's holding the wall sheathing and the tile. So that's where the construction expert is needed. So let's turn it around. 
let's say it's a medical expert, like an occupational therapist is in someone's home and they recommend what they're gonna call a grab bar. So they recommend to put that in the wall, but they don't know where, they don't know the condition of the wall. That's why we're telling the medical experts when you're just one-on-one -on -one with a patient and you're recommending bars, you really need to bring in a trained construction specialist who understands the system. They might say, well, we need to replace the drywall on this wall and we're gonna pull a permit to do that because it's required in most places. But more importantly, I want a third set of eyes telling me that the system installed does meet current code standards that way, those fasteners I mentioned, I know they'll work, no question. Hmm. So we're, we're creating work for contractors from the medical industry. Okay. So yeah, that helps. That, I love that example. That helps clear up, clear up some things. Um, so a medical professional is not necessarily referring to a nurse or doctor. You're talking about occupational therapists, possibly yep. physical therapists. What, That's right. Who are the other medical professionals? Well, it would start with, you're correct, the occupational therapist. Sometimes it can be a physical therapist. Um, we have graduates include, in fact, there's one gentleman, uh, Brian Isitz. He's a professor of pharmacology. Wow. Once he took the class, his wife was a designer. He looked over his shoulder and said, wow, these guys are, these guys are on the ball here. His passion now is to make sure in his world, Every pharmacist in the world, he says, should be trained by this program to understand how people, you know, envelop and embrace and live within their environments. The pharmacist needs to be involved. Interesting. So a pharmacist, how is a pharmacist involved? Just because they're prescribing things that could cause someone to... Right. A pharmacist might know that you're taking some medication or, or maybe you're being treated for vertigo. Well, vertigo is a condition where a person's going to fall down real quick. So that pharmacist needs to be trained. We're not saying the pharmacist is going to come into your home and make recommendations, mm -hmm. but the pharmacist may want to, and I'm just supposing now, may call the doctor and say, well, you have a patient here who's taken medication for vertigo. Have you talked to them about their home environment? Have you talked to them about reducing high color contrast and flooring? that can trigger a vertigo episode. Hmm. Interesting. The bottom line, Ben, is we all want to help each other. Everybody mm -hmm. does. That's just natural. What we're helping us in the building industries know is we do help people. Unlike the first half of my career, I was just there to build the school, to build the public housing building, to build the, you know, mm -hmm. the police station. I, I kind of wish I could go backwards in time, Ben, and say, you know, if we do this a little differently, maybe somebody won't fall while they're in here. Well, and that's, that's interesting. It's something as simple as a color scheme that could save somebody from having that medical emergency. Yeah, um, you're right. So it's not necessarily, again, that the, that the pharmacist is going to come out and do an inspection on the home before they issue that prescription or before they release those pills. It's that they're going to have an awareness of the other, the, the, living factors, the living environment factors, and they're going to make sure everybody else treating this person is aware of these things as well. You're right. The pharmacist right. calls the doctor, the doctor calls the, the home care specialist or, or the parents or whoever's taking care of that person. You're right. 
You're right. It's, it becomes just, a network. And that's one of the things the Living in Place Institute is, is becoming well known for. We've now created what's an international network of professionals from all industries working together and collaborating together to quietly make the changes. We're not here to try to teach people. I'm not going to come into your home, Ben, and tell you how, how often a child falls and dies. I'm not going to walk in and tell you everything I've learned from the class about all these disasters. All I'm going to do is walk in and tell you how I can make your home more comfortable, how I can make it prettier, how, how gee, when I walk from the kitchen, white tile floor into the dark living room carpet, in the class, you learn that that's actually is a fall hazard. So in what, I'm, what we're teaching is to, in that home with that example of a white kitchen floor and a dark living room rug, not to say, this is gonna create a fall. That just scares people. Instead to say, you know, if we change, maybe we put a new vinyl floor in the kitchen, make it sort of match the living room. So the whole, both rooms flow together and it makes one complete unit. And we even teach the body language. So while as I'm saying this, Ben, I'm gonna shake my head and say, wouldn't that be nice, Ben? Wouldn't that be really nice in your home? Mm-hmm. And or I might even say, hey, my last client had a kitchen in a living room just like yours, and it always bugged them that difference, and it always felt like there was a step. So we changed it, and they love their home now. Interesting. So how does that? That's interesting because I would think a high contrast that's going to draw your eye and and help you see there's you know help you pay more attention to the fact there is a transition there, and and that would eliminate a tripping hazard rather than cause one. How does that? Well, if those, if that from the kitchen to the dining room floor or living room floor, if it's smooth, the only transition is just going up to carpet. What, what happens, Ben, and this is what I've learned from the medical community. We see light. Mm-hmm. When light is far away, it's dim. So our, our bodies have what we call depth perception. Something mm-hmm. dark is farther away. In the medical industry, they call it vertical cliffing. You walk up to the edge of the cliff, it's dark down there. So you don't want to step over the cliff. We learn at a very young age, especially in the U.S., that most floors are probably flat. So we spend our life walking between those two floors. But what happens when you're not thinking clearly, whether it's by age or some other condition, and you're not really paying attention, and you go to walk into that living room, And your foot, you're trying to step down a little bit because you think your brain says that's a step down. Mm -hmm. Well, that little misstep, depending on your condition, could cause a fall. Maybe you're just going to drop a plate of dinner. Maybe it could be more serious. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Because I live in a community where most of our homes are flat. There's no steps. There's not a lot of, I mean, there's two-story homes, but... um, yeah, there's not a lot of, you know, a recessed living room or that kind of thing. But right. the homes, when I've, when we've been out looking at homes, older homes that had those, the realtors were always very concerned to point out, hey, watch your step. You know, this is, we always have people. And inevitably being there, you know, somebody, myself, my wife, the realtor would, somebody would trip on that little step a little bit. Fortunately, no one ever got hurt, but because it's just something we're not used to. So yeah, you move into that new home and, or, and, or move into a home that, that has that where you're not used to it and stumble, you know, walking around the middle of the night, trying to find the bathroom and you could, you could create a problem. That's right. 
you know, when I was remodeling, um, I built a lot of additions and major work. As soon as the day one on the job, because there'd be typically steps around the house, maybe you walk out the front door, walking in out of the garage, I would take traction tape, again, something I learned from the medical industry. It's, it's like, imagine a piece of super stick duct tape with sandpaper on the top, comes in mm -hmm. different colors. I would buy a couple rolls of that. I'd go into the house, home, and I would explain to the homeowner that for the worker's safety, we're going to put down these strips on every step, everywhere there's a difference in elevation. That way, my workers aren't tripping as they walk in. Invariably, at the end of the job, the people would ask me, can you leave that there? Because we're kind of used to that now. It, it you know, hmm. sort of feels good. I don't, my steps don't feel slippery anymore. So I would usually, you know, pull it up because it was old and worn a little bit, put down some new stuff. But but I'd learned about the color contrast and the dynamic coefficient of friction. How slippery is that surface when somebody's mm -hmm. walking? These are all things that we in the industry need to be well aware of and we need to practice these every day. Hmm. Interesting. And so, so tell me, are you still a, a builder today or are you just focused on the education piece? Well, my building projects are now around the house. Okay. <laughs> so I am completely focused on the education. Um, I'd like to think I could still pick up a pile of two by sixes and a compressor in the other hand. And I probably <laughs> could, but, but I'd probably go home. My wife would say, you didn't really do that, did you? That's why your shoulder doesn't work anymore, hon. That's why you, you know, that's why you're exhausted. So I've, yeah, I find it more enjoyable now for me. My creativity now, Ben, mm -hmm. is in helping other people in the industry learn, yeah. learn from my mistakes, learn from others' mistakes, and just keep moving things forward to making all homes what we call safe, healthy, comfortable. Okay. That's fantastic. Um, so you kind of walked through it a little bit, but how did you how did you develop the passion for this? And how did you decide, I, I want to focus on this specific aspect, aspect of the construction industry? Okay. Um, I'm an entertainer at heart. I, uh, I'm also okay. a professional musician and I do lots of public speaking. I had a talk radio show before we had podcasts. I've always wanted to, to help other people. I've always wanted to sort of entertain, make other people happy. So I was fulfilled in building projects, whether it was a home or a remodel or just a little repair in a home. I always liked the fact that the people liked this, they felt better. So when Louis, again, when Louis approached me about writing a book, it took a few months for me to realize I can have an impact on many, many people in the industry because this is a business course, Ben. It's mm -hmm. not a humanitarian course that's the end result, but it's a business class. It helps people be in business, helps you to do the right thing and how to make money. We want people to make money. So I feel very comforted now knowing I'm helping people being in business. I can pull from my background. So if a builder says, well, I wanna go into remodeling, do I charge the same? Well, I can tell you from experience, the lessons I've learned. Yeah. So helping to guide people in whatever their chosen path is in their career, just helping them to do it better. That, that's fulfilling for me. And, and I guess, honestly, Ben, maybe my age, I know I don't look 70. I know I still look like I'm 17 years old. <laughs> At least I think I do. 
but at 70, I, I need to, I need to pay attention to the doctors over the years have been saying, mm-hmm. Eric, you can't pick up that bunk of lumber. You can't do that anymore. Your body won't do that. Yeah. Well, and I, I like that uh, transition. I certainly appreciate that transition. I mean, it, for me, this whole podcast is me going out searching for mentors in this industry, people that have learned a lot and are now willing uh, to, to give back in your position. You're, you're certainly looking intentionally to, to get back and teach and educate others. And that's, that's fantastic because it's, mm-hmm. I feel like that's been a, sh- there's a, there's a shortage of that in our industry. So many, so many guarded, you know, about got to keep my, my secrets to myself kind of thing. Yeah. 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 There are no secrets. You know, it's, it's like the, the professional says, I just designed this home. Really, <laughs> homes have been around for a long, long time. There's not a whole lot new you could do that would be truly innovative. So when we are praised, Ben, for creating this program, we say, hey, we didn't invent houses. We didn't invent people. All we're trying to do is just follow what we've been doing. Um, and you know, you're probably well aware of our expression, Ben, of this is how we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And, and we rely on that. Well, this is how we've always built kitchens. The first kitchen cabinet was invented in 1899. Kitchen cabinets did not exist before 1899. Maybe oh. people had a, a piece of furniture in the kitchen, but the world at about that time became really flooded with mass production, good quality products and goods. We started having more things. So instead of one or two plates, we went out and bought a dozen plates. Well, now we need a cabinet to put those plates in. Well, wow, now we can go to the store and stock up with a month's worth of groceries. We need a place to put those. So kitchens developed. And interestingly enough, about the same time, there was an invention created that nobody ever thought we need. It's called the coat hanger because we didn't have mass productions of clothing. So you had a couple of shirts hanging up. So somebody invented a coat hanger to keep your shirt hung up. That then created closets so the builder went i can build you this little tiny space where you can hang all these new clothes you just bought so we Mm -hmm. haven't always done it this way back in those days you know bathrooms why would you put a bathroom inside of a house and why would you ever need more than one bathroom in a home you know (laughs) a little over 100 years ago that would have been 150 years ago that would have been unheard of yeah so those industries are are pretty new i mentioned i was an electrician that's a pretty darn new industry we didn't have electricity yeah what electricians are now learning through our program you're not just hooking up light fixtures you're creating a quality of life the electricians are now learning how they can adjust color temperature values and color rendering indexes how they can control it I think it's about 20% of our population suffer from migraine headaches. Well, in the past, a person with a migraine, they might learn that if they got up and closed the blinds and they changed the lighting, it would help them. Well, now, as you know, Ben, in our world of smart technology, a person can just sit there and say, I think I'm getting a migraine. Wow, the shades just automatically closed. The lighting values changed whatever setup the person has created in their life to make their life better. That's what we're teaching in just this example, the electrician. You're helping to prevent migraines in 20% of the population. You're not just an electrician. Yeah, wow. So how did you get into being an electrician and and how did you get into the construction industry? 
<laughs> well, I guess in high school, I'd worked for some bricklayers one summer. And my big lesson there, Ben, was, you know, I just took it for granted. I think we we're building a little gas station, you know, garage. And our job was to build these cinder block walls, something I'd always taken for granted. <laughs> to this day, Ben, I still remember realizing, wow, it takes all of these people. It's just a wall. How can I be to build a wall? Man, though. And my job, Ben, way before your time, was carrying mortar in a hod, H-O-D. Mm-hmm. A hod is a stick with a plywood box. You hold it on your shoulder. And the ladders we would climb on, two by fours nailed together. We didn't have mm-hmm. ladders. Why would you go buy a ladder? You just make your own. Things that I would, you know, I would stop the job today if I, if I saw those practices. Yeah. So I went to college for a couple of years back in the late 60s. Um, it was a tumultuous time in our environment. So I opted to leave school. Somebody said, well, why don't you be an electrician? Okay, I can hook up lights. I can screw in light bulbs. So I went to some company. It was a commercial contractor. They hired me as an electrician. Okay. In fact, one of our training programs we've launched a couple months ago is specifically for the trades professionals, helping them understand, again, their value and how they can network with the rest of the industry, how they can provide comfort to people, giving, and, and to our understanding, it's the only education program for tradespeople that isn't a technical course. Mm-hmm. It's a course in this is really what you do. And here's some of the things you need to know. Like my example of two handrails. Okay, if you're a trim carpenter, you need to know the importance of that. And we're gonna help you understanding why and the language and the principles behind how you can convince a client. So in my projects, Ben, I just started putting in two handrails. Hmm. Nobody complained. I didn't ask. So Ben, do you wanna pay another thousand dollars for this stairway to have two handrails you're going to say no i didn't ask i just did it so was i more expensive than others as you know it's hard to compare prices Mm -hmm. but i know my references when they when a client would tell me why they hired me they'd say well we called your references you told us to and we also interviewed some other folks and my prices were typically 20 25 percent higher than my competitors wow but my previous clients would say, just hire the guy. <laughs> He's not going to cut corners. <laughs> He's not going to come back and say, gee, we didn't know your electrical service needs to be upgraded. Well, you're putting in a new kitchen. Of course you need to upgrade the electrical system. Don't, don't come back like you're surprised to the homeowner. I would just include it. So I had happy customers. Mm-hmm. I had customers content. And I had customers that became my sales force. Wow, that's great. That's great. Well, Eric, um, what do you see are the biggest challenges facing the construction industry today? Well, we're all well aware of not enough workers. Mm-hmm. You know, will there ever be enough workers? I think the simple answer is no. Not <laughs> until every homeowner decides that I don't need a new kitchen. I, you know, leave everything as it is. So we always need more workers. Mm-hmm. That's in part why we created this program. And the program for the trades is called HATS home and accessibility trade specialist. So our hope is that if we can help younger people 
instead of my example, hey, why don't you listen? Okay, whatever, I can hook up lights. Wouldn't it have been nice for whomever that was to say, hey, Eric, why don't you be an electrician? You can actually improve lives for lots of people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot better than me in bold. Oh, gee, you left college. Is that because you're dumb, Eric? Is that because you couldn't make it in life? Maybe you just need to get a menial task. It's not a menial task. I went to school for four years, night school, four mm -hmm. years to be a licensed electrician. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I imagine you find the same thing that I've observed that there's probably a, it's a big uphill battle for you to find tradespeople um, or even generally construction professional, uh, construction industry professionals in general that are interested in pursuing additional education, whether it's uh, formal or, or informal or semi-formal like you've got with the Living in Place Institute. How are you finding people that are interested and, and attracting them to, to take those courses? It's, it's a lot of word of mouth. As you know, you can't, there is no master list of here's everyone who's an electrician. Here's mm -hmm. everyone who's a general contractor. You could poke around and try to find licensing areas, but it's, it's pretty much word of mouth, like we're doing right now, Ben. Mm -hmm. uh, I know we met through the National Association of Home Builders. I mm -hmm. now currently, I've been involved for three, 30 years, I think. I now serve on the board of trustees for the 55 plus housing council. So okay. that's how we connected. So it's creating these connections. I'm hoping that anyone listening who's in the industry can explore and examine this education. In fact, Ben, uh, we've invited you to, to take this program yeah. and we're looking forward to you sitting in. It becomes a game changer, Ben. It takes mm -hmm. a couple hours for most people to sink in. This isn't just about helping them those other people that might need help. This is about helping us. This is about helping me and my family. In fact, when we ask our graduates at the end of the class, who is gonna help, who is this class gonna benefit immediately? <clears throat> Overwhelmingly, the answer is my family. I'm gonna wow. make changes in my home. I'm gonna wow. do things for me and my family. And that gives them what they need to know and the stories where I could come to you, Ben, and say, well, Ben, in my house, we did this. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to take that class. You know, I've got a, a young family, and uh, my two-year-old just in the last few weeks has gotten tall enough where he used to be able to run underneath the kitchen counter and not <laughs> have a problem, and, and now he started smacking his head because he grew a couple inches, and those couple of inches I, make a pretty significant difference in his life. It does, and I've learned from Louie uh, and Ben, um, if you want advice on how to put corner protectors underneath those countertops, call Louie. Louie okay. would be more than happy to chat with you. <laughs> Louie's, you know, an engineer by, by training and, you know, kind of by desire. Louie won't just say, well, go get some stuff. While you're talking, Louie will be sending you a link on, here's the best product. Here's <laughs> how you apply it. Here's how you don't damage it. And, you know, here, here's how you can make your home safe for your children. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so Eric, what do you see are the biggest opportunities for the construction industry today? I think one of the biggest opportunities is in renovation. As, as a society worldwide, we're looking at how do we create enough housing for seniors? 
-hmm. Well, when you start looking at senior housing, you find quite often it doesn't have two handrails. It still has high contrast force because they don't know. They haven't gone through our training yet. Mm -hmm. So the message is really, and this is supported by fact, the AARP in their pivotal study called Fixing to Stay said that 90% of seniors want to stay at home. So wouldn't that help mitigate some of our demand and need for senior and assisted and disability housing? If you just fix the house you live in now. In fact, one of the main reasons people have to move from home into assisted living is toilet hygiene. Well, you know, it's, it would be uncomfortable to ask your neighbor to come over every time you need to use the toilet. Mm-hmm. Instead, what we're teaching is you need electrician put an outlet behind the toilet. Designer, contractor, install what we call a personal hygiene toilet seat. Install that fancy toilet seat that will wash and dry you. That then minimizes that need to go to assisted living. Hmm. One of our graduates said his mother-in-law, before she passed away, thanked her son for putting in that toilet seat. It allowed her for 15 years to live in a home with a total of 10 people, lots of grandkids. She was able to live there with dignity, with respect because of a toilet seat. Who would know? That's our message, Ben. Just put it in there. Just put it in there. So the big challenges are staying in business, making money. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to support. But tweaking, some people call this a fundamental shift to a simple approach. Just simply make it better. That's all. And think about like your kids. Let's design for your kids. Let's not design for when you get old, Ben. Design for your kids today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, That's amazing. I mean, uh, the fact that a toilet seat could change somebody's ability to to stay in their home. Yeah. Uh, Do you go into newly constructed or, or... even older um, built assisted livings and, and do evaluations on those. I'm just wondering, you know, things like that contrast in, in carpet, you know, how often were those assisted facilities or assisted living facilities built with these kind of design flaws? Well, it's, it's, they're full of it. They're full of it. I cringe every time I walk into a assisted living or a medical facility or even a store, I'm going, wait, 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 this is not right. You need to, and I'll speak up. I'm just that kind of guy. Ben. I'll be yeah. polite. You know, I won't scream and yell. I'll quietly, if I'm in a Walmart, I'll quietly ask the manager to come over and I'll say, you know, you have this big column in the middle of the store. I can't see it. Go get a piece of duct tape, wrap some contrasting color duct tape. Somebody will see it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the assessments. Part of the program is access to an electronic-based app. It's an app that lives on your tablet. It's 600 and some questions pre-sorted by room. I could even do it virtually, Ben. I I could set up a time with you. You walk through your house with your phone, and I'm just, Mm -hmm. let's just say we're in the bathroom. All right, show me that wall, Ben. While you're showing me things, I'm on my app, which has questions. Mm -hmm. And it has are towel balls, bars installed in the bathing area that will support 250 pounds. So I have a question, I go, and I don't just say yes or no. I have to say, when should it be installed? Everything is positive. Are there towel bars installed? Then I answer no. Then I, on my app, I say now, soon, future. And that's based on I'm there with you now. 
So I mm -hmm. might say, well, in the future, Ben, so in the future, you need to do this. But given your kids' heights, I'm going to say, well, Ben, for your, for your young one to be in the bathing area, you, let's put a towel bar in there down kind of low so that your child can hold on to that. <laughs> You're going to, so my recommendations are based on an app. It's the first time this has ever been done. A lot yeah. of people have created checklists, but mm -hmm. there, I've yet to find one that isn't flawed, like a lever yeah. handle. It'll ask, are lever handles installed on doors? If you look at the lever handles that we buy in the big stores, they are straight. They mm -hmm. might have curly cues on the end, but they don't angle back to the wall like the door handle in a public space does. Mm -hmm. The reason those handles angle back is to prevent a hand from sliding off the door handle. Mm -hmm. Plus, everybody says put lever handles in for people in wheelchairs. People in wheelchairs and walkers will often use a cane or a hook to reach out and open that lever handle. If it doesn't have the end return that angles back to the wall, then that cane will just slide right off the handle. So mm -hmm. unfortunately, we thought we we're doing the right thing to help people in wheelchairs by putting in lever handles. We just didn't know we've been putting in the wrong ones. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking at over at my door handles there, my, my <laughs> lever handles now going, oh, well, that doesn't have it. Yeah. Oh, a perfect example. We're, we're recording this and I see you wearing headphones. Mm -hmm. that's, so, that's so you can hear better. That's so it's clarity. We both probably have a professional microphone and camera in front of us. So we've learned, we've had to learn in this pandemic quickly, yeah. what, what is the right equipment? What can we do to bring mm -hmm. a message to people that's better? We're embracing the technology. We're embracing the parts and pieces that somebody made. Somebody made those headphones for you, Ben. Somebody yeah. had to build that. So I would assume that that industry, the camera industry, the microphone, the monitor industry, they've grown tremendously over this last year. Sure. Let's just do that in housing too. Let's just make yeah. it better. Yeah. I love that. I love that approach. Well, Eric, what is, what is the best advice that you ever received professionally? Oh, I've never been asked that question, Ben. That's a real good one. The best advice I've ever received professionally. Um, here it is. Day two, working on a job site. Again, I just started as an electrician. Okay. My boss was trying to bend some wires and he had this big hammer and he would hit the wires. And every time he'd say, don't do this. And he'd hit it don't do this. And he'd hit it. He'd say, looked at me and said, don't do this. And I was puzzled. You know, isn't it damaging the wires? You're hitting it with this big hammer. And then he mm -hmm. grinned and said, unless you know what you're doing. <laughs> so thank you for leading me that. That's my biggest takeaway. And that's what I'll leave you with, Ben. Don't do it unless you know what you're doing. There you go. Wow. That's powerful. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And who, who would have thought Paul, the guy's name was Paul. He had no idea. He was teaching me a valuable life lesson. We teach others life lessons every day. We yeah. are only reflections of those around us. So every day we're, we're repeating, we're reflecting the information we've learned from others. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to remember that one, Ben. Yeah, Don't I do like this that. unless you're doing, you know, <laughs> make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. 
Well, Eric, who do you feel that you've learned the most from throughout your career? My dad. My dad just recently passed away at 97 years old. My dad taught me the value of fix it. When I was a kid, daddy will fix it. Mm -hmm. My dad taught me fix it, understand the value of others, create Mm -hmm. procedures and policies and methodologies behind which you can comfortably live your life. He was a happy guy, but he had, you know, he wasn't a taskmaster for us kids. He led us to understanding the right ways and how to do things better, but there was always a plan. So when my father, as I said, just passed away, us kids said, well, what's the next step? Our mom said, he already planned all that out. He has his obituary written. He has the internment. Everything is written out. He's planned all this because he knew it wasn't a good time for us to be wondering what he would want. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. Um, well, Eric, I love that you mentioned your uh, second day on the job site. I want to go back to your very first day on a, on a construction site, very first job. What uh, If you could go back and visit yourself that day, what kind of advice would you give to yourself? Um, keep going. My first day I was helping Pappy. Pappy was an old man up on the ladder, probably younger than I am now. My job was to hand him tools and materials. Mm-hmm. So in between handing him things, I started looking around. How many people are working here building this school? How big is the property? Wonder what it costs. Wonder what the impact to the neighborhood. I wonder how many kids live in this neighborhood. So I found my mind just quickly expanding to look at the what ifs. What does that do? What is going to be the effect? That was my first day. Sometimes I think, Ben, maybe I should have stayed there just handing somebody some material and I don't have to plan anything, but that wasn't me. That wasn't me. I want to move things forward and understand if you, if we understand why, then we understand how we can make things better. Yeah. That's great. This has been very enjoyable, Ben. I really appreciate you sincerely. And I appreciate the fact that, that we are now connected. And we're going to move forward and and change the world one home at a time. Absolutely. Well, Eric, how can people get a hold of you or find out uh, more about what you're doing with the Living in Place Institute? Two ways. One is the website, livinginplace.institute. Okay. That's the best way. The second way is to call me. My telephone number is 720-581-0277. And I welcome a call anytime to talk about improving lives, making all homes safe, healthy, comfortable. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Eric. Really appreciate you sharing your story with me. Thank you very much, Ben. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you got something from today's guest. Join us next week on the Ben Beard Show.